In the United States, sexually transmitted diseases due to chlamydia trachomatis and Neisseria gonorrhoeae continue to be a major public health burden. Screening of extragenital sites, including the oropharynx and the rectum, is an emerging practice based on recent studies that highlight the prevalence of infection at these sites. So in this podcast, we're going to review the current CDC screening guidelines and how it is actually falling short of identifying potential reservoirs of infection. Sexually transmitted diseases continue to be a significant cause of morbidity in the U.S., with an estimated $16 billion spent annually on healthcare costs related to their diagnosis and treatment. The two most common reportable bacterial STIs in the U.S. are gonorrhea and chlamydia. Chlamydia is caused by the bacterium Chlamydium trachomatis, and it's the most commonly reported STI. There's over 1.4 million cases of chlamydia reported annually. Of these chlamydia cases, the majority are among younger adults aged 15 to 24, as well as women. Despite higher overall prevalence of chlamydial infection among women in the U.S., diagnoses among men have increased by about 7%. The difference in chlamydia diagnosis by gender can likely be attributed to routine screening practices among women. The major primary care guideline in the U.S. recommends annual chlamydia screening of all sexually active young women that are aged 25 and younger, and that should be part of their annual routine reproductive health care visit. Similar to chlamydia, gonorrhea also disproportionately impacts younger populations and women over men. It is well established that urogenital gonorrhea and chlamydia are often asymptomatic in both men and women. But what about extragenital sites? It's clear that the rates of oral sex and rectal sex have increased and anal sex is no longer considered a taboo. Neisseria gonorrhea and chlamydia trachomatis can also be detected in the pharynx and the rectum. Gonorrhea and chlamydia infection in the rectum can cause rectal pain, bleeding and discharge, as well as proctitis. In the pharynx, these infections can cause symptoms like pharyngitis and lymphadenitis, but are most often asymptomatic. Given that extragenital testing is not always part of routine STI screening, particularly in the absence of symptoms, many extragenital infections are undiagnosed and go untreated. These untreated extragenital infections are a potential reservoir for ongoing transmission and may also lead to increased risk of HIV acquisition. Extragenital testing for Neisseria gonorrhea and Chlamydia trachomatis is an emerging area that should be considered in both men and women. All right, let's take a look now at the current CDC screening guidelines. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention currently recommends that all sexually active women less than 25 years of age, as well as older women who have risk factors like new or concurrent sexual partners, be tested at least annually for urogenital chlamydia and gonorrhea. Per the guideline, the clinical significance of pharyngeal chlamydia infection is unclear and routine pharyngeal screening for chlamydia is not recommended. However, there is a lot of pushback as new data emerges that we're missing a potential site of asymptomatic carriage. 
the U.S. Preventative Service Task Force recommends screening for chlamydia and gonorrhea in all sexually active women aged 24 years and younger and in older women who are at increased risk of infection. The American College of OBGYN also recommends annual urogenital screening for gonorrhea and chlamydia for sexually active women aged 25 years and younger, like the CDC, as well as for older women who have risk factors. However, there's no specific recommendation for screening at extragenital sites. However, as we have covered in other podcasts, there is emerging data from the ACOG that both rectal and pharyngeal infection are obviously being overlooked. Well, before we get into the specifics on females and their rate of asymptomatic carriage, what does the data say about screening in men? Well, the CDC actually does not recommend routine chlamydia or gonorrhea screening in men, with the exception of considering screening in high-prevalence settings like STI clinics or in certain populations like men who have sex with men. So once again, there's pushback on this as well because it seems to put the onus of screening just on women. Once again, if you read the original guideline, the CDC does not recommend routine screening for gonorrhea and chlamydia in men. But what about the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force? Well, like the CDC, the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force also does not recommend for screening gonorrhea or chlamydia in men who have sex with women due to insufficient evidence to support this practice. But as we've already said, there's a lot of pushback on that statement. So it has to be clarified that the CDC does, again, make that recommendation that men who have sex with men or who are bisexual should receive annual testing for gonorrhea, chlamydia, HIV, and syphilis. But it does not hold true for men who just have sex with women. You know, sometimes you read something and you just have to step back and go, what was that about? Remember, as we've already killed this topic, the CDC does not recommend screening for oral pharyngeal infection routinely. But if you take a look at their treatment guideline, it says the following, quote, Although the clinical significance of oropharyngeal chlamydia trachomatis is unclear and routine oropharyngeal screening is not recommended, available evidence suggests that oropharyngeal chlamydia trachomatis can be sexually transmitted to genital sites. Therefore, detection of chlamydia trachomatis from an oropharyngeal specimen should be treated with Zithromax or doxycycline, end quote. Now, if we know that somebody, male or female, is carrying chlamydia in their throat and they're largely asymptomatic, and we're trying to find women who are infected in the urogenital area, doesn't it just make sense to look for those asymptomatic oropharyngeal carriers? So, I don't know, we'll just leave it at that. Go figure. International recommendations also vary. The International Union Against Sexually Transmitted Infections recommends extragenital testing for women and men who have sex with men at both the rectum and the pharynx if there is a history of reported sexual exposure in that area. Similarly, the British Association for Sexual Health and HIV recommends that extragenital screening for chlamydia and gonorrhea be dependent on reported sexual behaviors among men and women. The problem, of course, is that some individuals who engage in oral or anal sex do not volunteer that information and it's up to the practitioner to seek that information out. And as we all know, that isn't always done. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In 2016, Philip Chan et al. published a literature review on the prevalence of extragenital STIs in women. A total of 33 studies reported the prevalence of extragenital infections in women due to Neisseria gonorrhea or Chlamydia trachomatis. The range of prevalence of extragenital infections was about 0.6 to 35% for rectal gonorrhea and 0 to 29% for pharyngeal gonorrhea. And for chlamydia, the prevalence ranged from 2 to 77% for rectal chlamydia and from 0.2 to 3% for pharyngeal chlamydia. However, some critics of this study noted that this information mainly came from STD clinics and other high-risk settings, so it's not sure if that prevalence can be extrapolated to other private or lower-risk individuals. Most extragenital infections, however, were asymptomatic, with estimates including that 93% of pharyngeal gonorrhea was asymptomatic and 50 to 100% of rectal gonorrhea was asymptomatic. 100% of pharyngeal chlamydia had no symptoms, and between 36 to 100% of rectal chlamydia also occurred without symptoms. This is why some experts are urging for inclusion of these extragenital sites for screening because of the high asymptomatic carrier states and potential reservoirs of infection. Furthermore, according to this study, a significant number of women who tested positive for rectal gonorrhea or chlamydia did not report anal sex. Extragenital screening increases the yield of detection of either gonorrhea or chlamydia at pharyngeal or rectal sites by approximately 6 to 50% or greater in women compared with screening of urogenital specimens alone. All right, so what do we do with this information? Well, based on the prevalence data, universal screening for extragenital infections due to Neisseria gonorrhea or Chlamydia trachomatis in centers who take care of women should be considered, especially in those centers that take care of women under the age of 25. Due to the frequency of asymptomatic extragenital infections and the inaccuracy of testing based on self-reported behavior, the evidence seems to support routine screening, especially in high-risk settings including STD clinics and in student health centers. The move towards universal screening for extragenital infection will certainly increase case finding, which in turn will likely have both clinical and public health benefits like avoiding reproductive health sequelae and limiting potential HIV transmission. However, extragenital screening protocols among sexually active women are not currently widespread and further study is needed to evaluate the impact on sexual health outcomes. All right, podcast family, here's our take-home message. So as women's healthcare providers, we at least need to feel comfortable and ask the patient about oral sex and anal sex. And if they're at risk, potentially including screening of these extragenital sites as part of their well-women care. And remember, even though some recommendations state that there's, quote, no clear evidence, it is clear that we're missing a large percentage of asymptomatic carriage because the topic is never brought up. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast episode, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.